You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 55 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio, as always this week, is my co-host Matt Smith. Hello there. And how is Matt on this Reasonably sunny day. Sunnyish. <laughs> it's not sunny. Don't speak it, any bad weather. I've got a wedding to do. This oh, okay. No, no. It's no. Really, in that case, it's really hot. Um, I've come in just my t-shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's a, a, a typical Easter day, shall we say? Yes. Yeah, so it is the Easter uh, Easter time holiday mm. time. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, the fourth of April. Indeed. And uh, time just coming up towards two p.m. Lovely. And uh, yeah, we have uh, just uh, finished a rather brilliant interview with yeah. someone, haven't we? We have indeed. Which yes, we're the lovely Lauren. In the yes. show, yes, Lauren Richardson has uh, has given some brilliant interview. We're going to include that in today's yep. show. And uh, yeah, it was great to talk to Lauren. Wasn't it? it was yeah, so yeah, good, so, so fascinating. Cool. I know. I, I, well, I, as I say, I, I can't even fly an airplane. You, you so. wait till you see her display. They are really awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Saturday the sixth of September, seeding yes, airfield. Seeding can't wait. Yes. Yeah. Yep, so we've got that to come. We've also got a segment from Pilot Pip as mm. well. Yes, and, yes, uh, you've been officially name-checked on this one. Yes. <laughs> we were yes. listening to it just before we got started. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pip's, uh, Pip sent us a segment in as well, something I asked him to do, a little project I mm. gave Pip to yeah. do. So he's uh, he's got that done. Yes, the poor man doesn't have enough to do. That he's I having know, to sort of I know. Tend to your every whim, but never mind. He does his own show as well. <laughs> yes. Right, so uh, we're going to kick off the episode 55, and as we always do each week, with Indeed. our rundown of the news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Always. Let's go. So just an update then, uh, first uh, story then on the German Wings uh, crash, the A320, mm. uh, the sad news we covered on our last show. They, uh, the authorities have found the second black box now, mm, the yeah. data recorder uh, from the aircraft, uh, quite badly damaged, but uh, apparently they the first uh, kind of bits of news we've heard are that they have retrieved um, the data from the uh, flight recorder, yeah. uh, which shows um, well, it basically the, collaborates with the first yeah, the initial does, findings, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. That uh, yeah, it does uh, suggest that the co-pilot did uh, in, instruct the um, flight management computer to descend the aircraft uh, into into, mountain, into the yeah. mountain. So that's the update we have. Obviously, it's a still a very sad story, yeah. and uh, you know it's uh, it's something that uh, we've obviously all had. Food for thought, I think, Indeed. Uh, everyone. There's yeah. been some changes Actually, happening. I, I, I saw, a, 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 if you get a chance, I think it was on social media, um, and I saw a letter that was going around that had been written by one of the passengers to the pilot. This is on uh, the BBC website, um, and uh, well, a part of Newsbeat, sorry. And it was just a lovely letter um, that basically goes along, Dear pilots of the plane taking me home, in light of the very recent tragedy in the French Alps and the loss of those poor 150 people, I feel the need to reach out to you and extend a compassionate hand. At the end of the day, we are all humans just trying to live this roller coaster of a life we've been handed. I understand an event so horrific as this one affects those with your responsibility more than others and maybe sometimes a kind word random but heartfelt 
can make such a difference. I'm hoping to create a ripple effect and spread some compassion and understanding. Thank you for taking me home. Thank you for doing so safely. Thank you for allowing me to live the life I do in Spain and split my time with my family in England too. You make the excitement I feel now to see my family possible. I hope you get to see your family soon. I've had a wonderful flight and hope that you have too. You're making a massive difference and you're the reason I can smile tonight. Take care and spread love. Kindest words, Bethany. Uh, in such mm. a in such horrible times. In, in, yeah, and what's happened? And that, that is, that is it just, nice. it, And you just think it's so lovely that somebody's actually thought about the people who are flying you home. Because, mm. I mean, we're all outraged by what's happened. But, you know, so are the people that have now got the responsibility of transporting you from your, you know, between the two airports. Um, you know, the, the, even more pressure is on them now to do it as best as they can. And I just thought, what a lovely, lovely letter. And I thought we ought to share that with you because it's, uh, you know, a sort of a nice story or a story almost in, in, in such tragedy. Uh, is uh, is an oh, you can find that letter on the yeah it's a BBC website so bbc.co.uk forward slash newsbeat excellent so our next story then uh, this one is on the California Beat website Ooh. and this is regarding one yeah <laughs> uh, British Airways supersizes San Francisco to uh, London flight oh, wow. so in a highly competitive uh, fight to win market share on the San Francisco to London route. BA has uh, uh, held or may hold a key to uh, none of its competitors currently have, which is the largest passenger jet. Mm-hmm. The airline began flying its double-decker Airbus A380 between the two cities on uh, last Sunday uh, in a move British Airways officials said was done in response to increased travel demand from the booming technology sector in the Bay Area and in Great Britain. And uh, the San Francisco, uh, San Francisco and London are two great cities, said Doug Keynes, Vice President of Business Development for British Airways. We looked at the size of the market and San Francisco has always been very important. The Airbus A380 will replace an older Boeing 747-400 on the airline's evening flight in and out of San Francisco. BA's afternoon flight will continue being served by a 747-400. The switch comes with a big increase in the number of seats offered by the airline. Its Airbus A380 seats 469 passengers, uh, which is 124 more than the 747-400 it replaces. Its uh, business class cabin, uh, Club World, will grow from 52 flatbed seats to 97. Mm-hmm. The number of first class seats will remain the same at 14 on the Airbus A380. And the airline has installed its newest and perhaps most luxurious version of its top tier seat, a semi-enclosed suite with more personal stowage and space than the previous generation first class seat. Passengers in BA's first on the A380 will also be treated to a five-course tasting menu. Now we're talking. That includes (laughs) braised pork belly and char suey duck. Each entree comes specially prepared or paired with a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Those flying an economy class, World Traveller, will also enjoy the Airbus A380's amenities, including the airline's latest seat-back in-flight entertainment system and power outlets. Regardless of class of service, Keynes said that everyone will benefit from the plane's quieter engines and cleaner cabin air. The Airbus A380 comes with uh, advanced air conditioning filters and the air is cycled every three minutes. 
Passengers have been very positive about the plane, he said, and we're very happy. Now, this is some great news, especially with traveling to uh, San Francisco from yeah. London. Um, that BA have uh, put the 380 on that on that Look, route. Looking at the flight, I mean, the interior looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially look- in business class with the lie flat beds. And <laughs> you've got your own little pod almost. It's quite cool. It's, it is good. Yeah. And those, I mean, you look at the picture, the economy seating does look quite sort of squeezed in, but... I can assure you there is quite a, quite a good, there, generous yeah. amount of leg so room. Even, a, even a large person like me could get sort of relatively yes, comfortable. Of course. Excellent. And I have to say, the uh, British Airways colours on the A380 look really good yeah, as well. Yeah, you can't beat the blue and the red. The, no, the, no. The magic that is. On to the next story then. This is the travelmall.com. Uh, oh, look. And, uh, oh, look. <laughs> Flights delayed after Ryanair plane scrapes another on the Dublin run- runway. An investigation is underway after two Ryanair planes collided at Dublin Airport this morning. The aircraft, one bound for Zadar, is it Zadar or Zadar? Zadar. Zadar, and the other for Edinburgh, were taxiing on the runway when, according to Ryanair, the winglet of one of the aircraft appears to have scraped the tail fin of the other. Both aircraft were under the instruction of Dublin Airport Air Traffic Control at the time, says the airline in a statement. It said customers were bussed back to the terminal and have now boarded replacement aircraft to continue their journeys. Ryanair apologised sincerely to customers for any inconvenience caused, it said. Emergency services were called to the scene, but there were no reports of injuries. Dublin Airport said the ground incident is causing delays to some departures this morning, but arrivals are operating normally. It advised passengers to check with their airline. In the third reported incident of this kind for Ryanair in the last year, in October 2014, two of its planes clipped each other while taxiing at the runway at Dublin, the winglet one the winglet of one scraping against the tail fin of the other. In June 2014, two Ryanair jets collided on the ground at London Stansted Airport, again with the winglet tips uh, of one of the planes and the tail cone of the other making contact. So they're obviously just flying a little <laughs> bit too close to the wind, if you'll pardon the pun, aren't they? There it's, uh... Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, it did Whose the... fault is it, though, I... technically? I mean, is, is it the pilot... Who's? A, I mean, I suppose the pilot is ultimately responsible because yeah. he's supposed to. But presumably, there are ground crew who are directing them. I mean, it's yeah. I, don't know. I, I mean, on pushback, obviously the ground crew of obviously you know the guys on the ground are yeah. looking at the aircraft to see in which direction it's moving yeah. and what it's moving near to. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure whether the the responsibility ultimately lies with the pilot yeah. or not. Once it's on the ground, once it's on yeah. the ground, um, mm. perhaps one of our listeners could uh, send us correct some us, feedback yes. as to correct yeah. us to we'll see to ask pilot who, Pip. Uh, whose fault. Yeah. yeah, perhaps Pip could uh, yeah. could let us know. Absolutely. So next yeah. story then, indeed, and this one is on the CH Aviation site. This is another new one. And uh, where jet- do you find I these know. sites? I, t- I can find <laughs> these sites everywhere. I scour the internet indeed. for all these stories. Yes. You have far too much time on your hands. I know. <laughs> so Jet Two, uh, one of our low cost carriers here in the UK, mm-hmm. abandoned. Yep. This is a story we covered. Um, oh yes, not not yes. too long ago. Yeah. So Jet Two has abandoned its uh, plans to lease an Airbus A three thirty. So Jet2 uh, from Leeds, Bradford, has abandoned plans to wet lease its first wide-bodied aircraft, an A330-300. Uh, it was going to release the aircraft from Malaysian budget long-haul operator AirAsia X. And the UK carrier has uh, or did plan to base the aircraft um, out of Manchester over the May to September period this year for flights going to Palma de Mallorca. Uh, Son, St. Juan, Dalaman, Tenerife, uh, Lanzarote, and Paphos. 
The low-cost uh, carrier's fleet currently consists of 29 Boeing 737-300s, 16 737-800s, and 11 Boeing 757-200s. Six of its uh, 737-300s it owns are QCs and are used to operate Royal Mail flights at night while ferrying passengers during the day. Mm-hmm. So that's a, I mean, something's obviously um, changed Jet 2's yeah. mind uh, yeah. by obviously hiring, wet leasing this aircraft, where they, they haven't got the they passengers. They have the demand, possibly. Or the demand yeah. for yeah. passengers on those flights. I mean, the 757-200, I mean, you know, that's uh, a, a, a fantastically robust aircraft. Mm. We've yeah. talked about before, some of the airlines are phasing the 7.5s <clears throat> out now. Right. Um, but uh, the picture there in front of us on the screen, that's yeah. the 757-200 there. Right. Uh, but it's a shame. It obviously, uh, obviously, not got the um, the bums yeah. for the seats. Well, I, th- no. I mean, we th- we covered a similar story um, last week, and uh, you know, it's uh, and with with um, you know p- people flying, you know, the numbers going through the roof all the time. I mean, it's just a bit of a surprise that. Um, that um, you know, some of these routes are, are proving not to be profitable, but uh... they're busy. I mean, to be fair, the routes they have got the UK mm. um, carrier, you know, they, those are pretty busy holiday they're routes, pop- really. Routes, yeah. um, but I think they are better served by the seven three sevens. You know, the smaller, smaller aircraft. Craft, yeah. Mm. Oh well. Oh well. Fingers crossed for them that it's only a only a glitch. <laughs> Next story, then. Uh, this is. Um, I like this one. You do indeed. Yeah, this is uh, Mail Online. It says dailymail.co.uk is the website. And the headline is Inaugural Virgin Atlantic Flight to, Atla- uh, to Atlanta cancelled after water, water cannon salute is swapped for foam and clogs the engines. <laughs> A Virgin Atlantic passenger jet was grounded after a botched water cannon salute by airport fire tenders clogged up its engines by spraying thick foam instead of water. The water cannon salute is the sort of flamboyant gesture for which Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Atlantic airliner has become famous and also marks something of a wider aviation tradition. The Virgin Atlantic plane, with its beauty queen name emblazoned on the fuselage of the Airbus A330-300, had just landed in Manchester with 188 passengers on board after its high-profile inaugural flight from Atlanta, Georgia, in the USA. It was preparing to depart from Manchester as a return flight VS-109 when the watery tradition was set to send it on its way. But disaster struck when the fire tenders at Manchester Airport positioned themselves to spray a giant arch of water over the top of the transatlantic uh, passenger jet and someone mistakenly pressed the button marked foam. <laughs> so instead of pure water spraying down the aircraft, it was fire suppressing foam which got into and clogged up the vital and sensitive jet engines and high tech turbine blades. As a result, the spluttering plane dripping with foam residue was grounded and forced to undergo a top to bottom safety check over the running over uh, check over running to thousands of pounds by Virgin Atlantic engineers. The declogging work was carried out as the pilot and flight crew went on a diplomatic mission to explain exactly what had gone wrong. Oh, now th- this is honestly, this is probably one of the most bizarrely funny stories Indeed, that we've, we've yeah. covered for a while. And yeah, I, I mean. Whoever pressed that button, I know, I know. Um, somebody's in serious in, trouble. He's in trouble. <laughs> um, for those of you who go on to to the site um, mm. on the Daily Mail yeah. site, see the photos here. You could probably Google them actually. Yeah. Um, to see the photos of the aircraft, that the aircraft itself, um, the Airbus three hundred and thirty, is 
covered yeah. in foam and really? it's um it's kind of like it's kind of like someone's been trying to shave the aircraft <laughs> and has sort of covered the uh, covered the oops uh, yeah, covered the aircraft in shaving foam uh, you know to give it a bit As of trim you do yeah. well i'll tell you what well, make sure carl puts it on the facebook page we'll we'll, yeah. we'll share this we'll, um, yeah, we'll, we'll share, we'll share in fact i shall do it right now yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll share this on the uh, the, the Facebook page because it is it is worth watching the video as well. It is quite uh, it is quite funny. <laughs> so <laughs> brilliant! I can't get it. I know. I know. The, pic- the pictures just do it complete oh, justice. They do. Yes, right mess. <laughs> so uh, next uh, story then something a bit closer to home. Very much so. Yes. Very much so for me and Matt. This yeah. one's on the Eastern Daily Press site. Yeah. Or the EDP. As we call it. As yes. we call it here. And this one is regarding Prince William. Yeah. Who is starting his training for the East Anglian Air Ambulance mm. uh, uh, with his job at Norwich Airport. Cool. Norwich International Airport. Yes. So Prince William uh, has started his flying career with the East Anglian Air Ambulance Service in Norwich. The second in line to the throne officially started work for the company that operates the region's helicopter rescue service at Norwich Airport um, last week ahead of a uh, 12-week training program. Kensington Palace has said that the Royal is expected to begin flying rescue missions at the beginning of summer. His classroom-based time in Norwich is part of the training regime at Cambridge Airport and in Staverton, Northamptonshire. It's unclear how often the Prince, a former RAF search and rescue helicopter pilot, will be coming onto the city, and he is now an official employee of Bond Air Services, which runs a number of air ambulance and police aviation operations across the UK. It is believed that uh, it is believed to be the first time a member, a member of the royal family in the direct line of succession will sign an employment contract with a civilian employer. He will draw a salary, which he will then donate in full to a charity. Kensington Palace said in a short statement, the Duke of Cambridge has today started work as an employee of Bond Air Services. Over the next coming months, he will undertake job-specific training before he begins piloting missions for the East Anglian Air Ambulance during the summer. The mandatory training will involve simulator aircraft and in-flight skills training. His main duties will involve flying the AC-145T2 aircraft, working alongside medics to respond to emergencies ranging road accidents to heart attacks. There has been speculation surrounding the move since Prince William ended his active service as an RAF search and rescue pilot in September 2013. He'll fly on a day or fly on day and night missions from the charity base at Cambridge Airport, covering an area comprising of Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, and Bedfordshire. Wow, this is a brilliant story. It's this brilliant, is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, well, I mean, I'm a massive royalist, and and especially well, William and Harry, both of them are are, are really quite. I've been lucky enough to actually uh, have met uh, Harry at. Um, uh, a very long time ago now. Name dropping. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but but they're both they're both lovely lovely people. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's probably more likely to cause more heart attacks than 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 cure them though. I think if 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 you if, you, if they you know if he turns up to to pick you up and you you know because you've had a heart attack, I think it, I think it might just finish you <laughs> off if the you know if Prince William is the one who's flying the helicopter taking you back to. to but one whichever. of the one of the bits of that story though, Matt, mm. he's donating his complete salary to charity. But that doesn't surprise me at all. 
all, to no. be brutally honest with you. Um, they, it's uh, no, it's a really, a really nice, uh, really nice story, and and uh, I, I know he'll do well. I mean, he was he was genuinely well thought of in the military mm. oh, yeah. um, for yeah. his search and rescue efforts, and I have no doubt he'll do. Exactly and he takes the same. his job seriously as well. He does, yeah, yeah. very much so. It's uh, just a bit scary that that you know the the heir to the throne will be sort of based out of a little. Tin hutted Fly, at Norwich, flying <laughs> flying over our heads. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was, very recently we covered a story, didn't we, where it had landed in Lowestoft Churchyard. You know, that could well be him. How exciting! Never mind. Anyway, on to the next story. This is GothamMagazine.com, and the headline is Virgin Atlantic's new plane offers in-flight wine tastings and a bar. Good old Richard Branson. So Richard Branson's Virgin Atlantic is known for its high-quality planes and service and its new plane. The Dream the Dream Genie, a Boeing 787-9 Dreamliner, is no exception. After the plane debuted uh, with a flight out of uh, John F. Kennedy Airport on the March the 26th, Gotham was invited to, to get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the airline's newest model. The New Yorkers can now experience the newest Dreamliner from JFK and Newark airports. The windows are larger, the air is cleaner, thanks to high-tech filtration systems, and there's more room to store your luggage in the overhead bins. There are a total of 264 seats, with 31 in the upper class and 35 in premium economy, and 198 in the economy cabins. The luxury experience of the upper class cabin starts before you even step foot on the plane at the JFK Virgin Atlantic Clubhouse. You can freshen up with a facial at the Clubhouse Spa, get a, get a trim from one of the um, one of the Bumble and Bumble hairstylists on hand, or enjoy a proper dinner and cocktail. It's the best way to, seem, to seamlessly transition from the ground to your seat up in the air. Expedited, uh, expedited uh, boarding, a gourmet menu, a f- f- uh, and flatbeds are just some of the features that uh, one will experience aboard the Dreamliner Genie's upper-class cabin. The friendly, personalised service range from wine tastings to adjustable mood lighting. It's also convenient for the business traveller thanks to the Wi-Fi connection available even across the Atlantic in each flight. Virgin Atlantic was the first airline to build a bar on a plane, so it's no shock to discover that the upper-class cabin offers a chic beverage counter that doubles as a place to meet other passengers or to relax and perch. Uh, on one of the four stools, sip your drink and order a couple of snacks if you get hungry. When flying in premium economy, you can expect more legroom than before. The seats will also be made to recline further back and feel amply spacious. If that's not enough your legs uh, for your legs, the cabin offers a wonder wall where you can hang out and enjoy snacks and drinks or take a lap. Take a lap? What does it mean by take a lap? I don't know. Uh, um, what, a lap of the plane? Take a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd be doing that, actually. Yeah, well, yeah. Plane, that'd be nice. Yeah. But that's, a, that's a rather nice. I like the, uh, like the thought of having well, having the, the funds to, uh, to yeah. try that out. Well, yes, indeed. Yes, I, think, I think that is the first problem, isn't it? Yes. Definitely. Indeed. So next story yep. is the Mail Online. Mm-hmm. And mistake by air traffic controller put two planes just four miles away from each other um, on a collision course above Luton Airport. 
Wow, this is an airport that me and you fly from, mm, which is yeah, it? not anymore. Uh, <laughs> now this is uh, this is obviously a story that happened uh, last year. This one's just come obviously after they have to investigate and yeah. stuff before they release the reports. Yeah. But a mistake by a controller put two planes at Luton Airport, uh, Airport on a collision course with each other, according to an official near miss report, um, which has uh, said the controller based at Shamwick. Uh, sort of Swanick, sorry, Swanick Nats Control <laughs> Centre, uh, thought an Airbus A319 leaving Luton Airport was carrying passengers, was one departing routing when actually it was on a different course uh, completely. Uh, when the Airbus A319 was given instruction to climb to 5,000 feet, it brought the aircraft into confliction with another Airbus A319, which was on a positioning flight from Stansted to Luton with no passengers on board. Oh. Describing the incident, which took place three miles from Luton Airport on September the 12th last year, the UK Airprox Board, which regulates aircraft proximity, said that when the controller realised his mistake, he gave avoiding action instructions to both aircraft. The minimum separation between the two planes was 3.5 nautical miles, which is just over four miles horizontally and 100 feet vertically. As usual, uh, in such reports, the board did not give details of which airlines were involved. The minimum distance permitted between aircraft flying in London is three miles, according to the UK Air Traffic Control, or NATS. Mm. A spokesperson for the organisation commented on the 12th of September 2014 that an air traffic controller at the Swanwick Control Centre gave an Airbus A319 leaving Luton Airport permission to climb to 5,000 feet, mistakenly believing it to be on a particular departure route. This had be the potential to result in less than the minimum separation required with another A319 in the area. The controller immediately realised his error and gave the appropriate correction action. Safety was not compromised and the minimum separation standard of at least three miles was maintained. In another report, the Airprox board gave details on how a high workload and in a, uh, and a control room distraction had led to a Liverpool air traffic controller allowing a Piper Alpha 28 light aircraft to fly into conflict with a Boeing 737. Ooh, that incident happened on September the 21st last year as the Boeing 737 was on its final approach to Liverpool Airport. The report said both pilots had taken avoided uh, action or action to avoid a collision and at the closest uh, point of approach, these two aircraft were separated by 600 feet vertically and 0.3 nautical miles, which is just over one third of a mile horizontally. The board went on. It was considered that it has been fortuitous that the Piper Alpha 28 pilot had sighted the Boeing 737 when he did and that the 737 pilot had been given just enough time to assimilate the traffic information and react quickly. This is quite a worrying story, but you it know, it, it, you know, all these stories like this do come out every now and again. Well, and, and this, this, this is the, the problem that, I mean, computers can only take can can only take things so far can't they i mean you you know the, the, unfortunately when there is a human involved there is always a margin for error isn't there and uh, you know because it, it's saying here that the nat system itself didn't put put um put people at risk if you like it mm. was it was the the actual air traffic controller himself give, giving out the wrong instructions i mean it's but i mean these aircraft all passenger aircraft now matt mm. um have you heard of a, a system called tcas no no it's a traffic collision avoidance system right it's a little box a kind of computer mm. that sits uh, on the flight deck yeah and uh 
all these aircraft flying around in the airspace, passenger aircraft and, and a lot of other yeah. aircraft as well, have a TCAS system fitted. Yeah. And should they fly towards each other or near close to each mm. other, it the computer tells it's almost the, like a proximity alarm. Yeah, almost, it tells yeah. the pilot what to do right. um, to avoid. And because right. the two computers in each aircraft talk to each other, right. one okay. aircraft, one, 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 one goes up, one goes down. Exactly. Like, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. And it tells the pilot what so to do. So that could have been a very different story with this this light aircraft, the PA twenty eight. Because that I would have, I would be surprised if that one had the TCAS mm. system on board. Yeah. But yes. uh, the seven three seven would have had that. But uh, well, hopefully the, the the report will ensure that you know steps have been made to sort of make sure it doesn't happen again, et cetera, et cetera. So it's uh, yeah, it's a, a lucky escape by the sound. Yes. Of it. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, on to the next story. Then this is uh, on the Daily Mirror website, mirror.co.uk, and the headline headline is Presswick Airport arm police on tarmac in Glasgow as military aircraft loses communication. Ah, now I heard. I heard this on the radio yesterday, I think. Was it yesterday or the day before? It was, yeah. Yeah, and airspace over Scotland is understood to have been closed off and dozens of officers were called to the scene after a huge operation was launched. Armed police were called to Presswick Airport in Glasgow after a military aircraft lost communication. Dozens of officers were called to the tarmac and airspace over Scotland was closed for a short time after the Italian military plane lost communication with the ground. But police and the Ministry of Defence said that the plane landed safely and there were no suspicious circumstances. An MOD spokeswoman confirmed the flight had landed safely after fears were raised by air traffic control. She said Typhoon aircraft were launched this evening from RAF Lossiemouth to intercept a civilian aircraft, which was causing concern to air traffic control authorities. The aircraft was safely escorted to Presswick Airport. Police Scotland tweeted, Police and emergency services present at Presswick Airport after plane lands safely under escort as a safety precaution. The Daily Record reported around 20 police vehicles and fire crews on the scene at the terminal at Glasgow's second airport. An airport source told the paper the terminal building is still open but it's definitely not a training exercise. I can see six or seven police vehicles and the other major emergency services including four fire engines. I have seen training exercises here before and it's nothing like this. The emergency crews were flanking the runway as the Italian uh, C-27 landed at around about 8pm. It was escorted by two RAF Typhoon jet fighters. The flight was travelling from Iceland to Milan when it lost touch with air traffic control. The airport was closed for a short period but has since reopened and flights are departing as normal. The airport is regularly used by military aircraft. So it just sounds like a like a radio malfunction then, essentially, if they couldn't uh, talk to air traffic control or perhaps they didn't know which channel they were using. I presume there's a, a across-the-world um, protocol, I suppose. There, yeah, there, there is. For, um, for talking to any air traffic control. Normally, normally you, you have a is that squawk, what this squawk system. Th- yeah, 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 yeah. You have a squawk system and uh, there's a code that you can put in on your transponder to let, yeah. to let an air traffic control know that your radio is not working. Right, okay. Um, so your code for that, I think, if I'm right, is 7600. Right. So should you key in 7600, it sends right. a signal saying, my radio doesn't work. Um, um, help. Help. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, this this just shows that we are on mm. a, quite, a, quite a good high alert here mm. in the UK for stuff like this. And, and you know, these the guys were scrambled to well, intercept. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, a... Yeah. a 
sensible outcome to that story. Indeed, well, and of, and of course, it, I mean, it was widely widely reported, wasn't it? That um, you know this this this, this horrible incident that we referred to at the beginning of the show. Yeah. And um, you know, um, jets had been scrambled um, yeah. at that because you know air traffic control noticed that something wasn't mm. wasn't right, and nobody respond was responding from the cockpit. So it's uh, you you can't blame them really for being overly cautious. No. So the story we covered earlier, Matt, with mm-hmm. the Virgin um, yes. foam incident, yes. I have just put that on our Facebook page. Yes, so for those who are listening, uh, if you want to see see yeah. the uh, the Airbus A330 mm. with uh, what looks like shaving foam, yeah. <laughs> um, you can go to our Facebook page and uh, you'll see the story on there. Excellent. So our last story then uh, on this part of the show yep. is on the travel or the Telegraph travel yep. site. Uh, this one's a good news for uh, I think it's good news for everyone really uh, families and uh, and you know couples and everyone's traveling excellent uh, on flights uh, so cheaper long haul flights as air tax rules change so a family of four traveling long haul will pay up to 104 pounds less from this week as changes to air passenger duty or APD come into effect. So the story goes that the government has simplified the banding system used to calculate APD contributions when flying from a UK airport. The two bands that had previously been applied to those flying more than 4,000 miles have gone. Instead, all air passengers flying to a country whose capital is more than 2,000 miles from London will be taxed the same amount. The change will benefit those travelling more than 4,000 miles or those flying to the Caribbean, for example, which previously sat in band C and will now pay £71 per person rather than £85 per person. This means a family of four will save £56 in total. Those flying more than 6,000 miles, say to Australia or Argentina, for example, will save even more with contributions cut from £97 to £71, a saving of £104 for a family of four. However, those travelling between 2,000 miles and 4,000 miles, such as US-bound travellers, will pay slightly more, with contributions rising by £2 a person. The government will also scrap APD for children aged under 12 from the May the 1st this year. In 2016, it will be also abolished for all children under the age of 16. Quite right, quite right. As British travellers are some of the most heavily taxed in the world, tour operators have welcomed these changes. But Mark Tanzer, chief executive of the Association of British Travel Agents, has urged the government to abolish the tax entirely. British Airways, whose passengers alone paid £646 million in <laughs> airport tax last year, also believes that it should be abolished across the UK. The Scottish Government has recently given power over APD north of the border. Early this month, David Cameron suggested that APD could be varied at the northern airports and should Scotland decide to lower or abolish APD, that he said that uh, he said this to the Northern Echo. Mm-hmm. Um, which would create unfair tax competition with airports across the border. Um, Willie Walsh, chief executive of BA, parent company IAG, said the Prime Minister's words speak volumes. He has finally conceded that APD uh, damages uh, growth and stifles job creation. If APD is on the way out in Scotland, it needs to be scrapped UK worldwide. I don't know if I agree with that article, that, that, that last statement. 
I mean, we're, we're seeing air traffic, you know, air traffic rising. I mean, it's been, you know, the numbers have been going up steadily over many, many years. And it's been what it, it, the tax has existed in one form or other since 1994. And during that time, we've seen very steady growth in, in airport traffic. So I don't, don't know if that statement is, is correct, is it? They, they, I like how they don't they don't call it a tax. It's air air passenger duty. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah so it's not a tax. It's sneaky. air passenger duty. Mm, yeah. yeah. But uh, we've got the bandings and stuff are on here. Mm. We can see this in front of us. And, yeah. um, I mean, it does add quite a lot onto it. I mean, if you took these away, if you if you were flying yeah. to the US and you took mm. one of these um, these air, air passenger duty taxes mm. away... You know, it's 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 not it's a good saving. It's you know, saving you one hundred and forty-two pounds. Yeah, it's, it's not. You know, it's not yeah. just a few quid. It is. Yeah. It is. You know, a good weekend. Well, if, you, if you if you look at band C, which is uh, what if you're flying to Australia and things like that, isn't it? Or was it band D Australia? I can never quite remember. Anyway, we'll say band C, which is four thousand and one miles yes. up to six thousand miles. Let's do it. Do it like that. Yeah. In twenty fourteen, you were paying three hundred and forty pounds. Um, uh, this is a family of. Is this for a family of four? four yeah. 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 So three hundred and forty pounds additional charges um, for this APD. Which is a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, what it what it looks like is is going to happen is it could drop could well drop down to one hundred and forty two pounds for a family of four. So that is quite a drop. But if we compare it? that that price, so Matt, to nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Um, yes. The tax yeah. paid by a family of four was only forty pounds. Was £10 forty each. quid? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember it when it was ten pound a head. I do remember when it was ten pound a head. Um, and I think, to be fair, I think it's ten pound a head still at Norwich, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's we where are. we bring the new Indeed. segment to a close for this Excellent week. Excellent cup of tea time. But it is. Don't forget, we have uh, we got pilot pip segment, but we have got a bit of military news to yep. uh, to bring you next. Yeah. And then, like I said, we have got also our interview with Lauren as Indeed. well, which yep. is going to be awesome. Uh, so we're going to come back to you after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> So we're back then after a tea refreshment break. Absolutely. Yes, yes. yes. Storm uh, clouds are blowing, brewing outside. I don't say that. Okay. I'm, I'm wishing all the best for the couple that are getting married this Indeed. afternoon. Yeah, that's true. Um, who are actually uh, my my neighbours. So oh, um, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but I, I shall de- do my best at DJing at their wedding tonight. Yes. I, I would suggest taking gloves. Yes, it's going to be it's going to be cold. It's in a. I was just saying to Matt just before we start recording <laughs> that the wedding I'm doing this evening is yes. in a marquee. Lovely. And uh, this morning when I was setting the um, mm. the disco equipment up, it was rather cold. I strongly advise investing in a fan heater. I'm yeah. not going to lie to I'm you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> 
So then, anyway, moving on with the show. Indeed, yes. Uh, we've got uh, a few military stories to bring you, including a military top ten. Woo-hoo. So if you're ready to go, Matt. Indeed, yes. I'm going go. first this week. I know. I? Military yeah. time. Yeah, let's go. Okay, our first story then. This is on Flight Global, and it's the A330 selected for AWACS India project. The New Delhi will New Delhi will proceed with the Airbus A330 as the platform for its ambitious airborne warning and control system India AWACS India program. In a decision taken on the 25th of March, the Defence Acquisition Council, led by the Defence Minister Mahuna Parika, thanks for this story, Carl, mm. uh, apportioned a sum of 750. 50 million euros that's about 813 million dollars for the acquisition of two A330s Airbus Defence and Space had last October emerged as the sole bidder for the six aircraft tender which had been issued in March 2014 the Indian requirement called for an initial batch of two aircraft followed by four more options for four additional aircraft could be exercised at a later stage substantial changes must be made to the A330 to enable the integration of a 10-metre, that's 33-feet diameter, antenna rotodome, uh, a supporting pylon, and onboard mission systems. Certification tasks will be handled by Airbus. India's, uh, Benga- Bengaluru, <laughs> India's Bengaluru... Bengaluru? Bengaluru, yeah. Bengaluru, you've, based, you've apologies if that's pronounced incorrectly, Centre for Airborne Systems, part of its defence research and development organisation, will be responsible for the performance of the fully configured platform. India's Cabinet Committee on Security granted its approval for the AWACS India programme in February 2012. The project will be completed within 84 months by Indian Air Defence procurement standards the activity has moved with surprising speed an induction uh, an indication of the high importance accorded to it by the defense ministry meanwhile airbus continues to wait on a decision to order six a330 multi-role tanker transports for the indian air force having agreed to further extend the validity of its bid until the 1st of July. The European company has also emerged as the sole bidder for a deal to replace the Indian Air Force's aged Avro HS748 transports. It has teamed up with... What on earth was that? Sorry, that's a website making loads of noise. Yeah, Indeed. Okay. The European company has also emerged as the sole bidder for a deal to replace the Indian Air Force's aged Avro HS748 transports. It has teamed up with the Indian partner... Tata Advanced Systems to offer its C295 twin turboprop in response to a request for proposals issued to eight foreign manufacturers in May 2013. In February, the Defence Ministry announced that an independent committee had been set up to look into various issues related to the single vendor situation before a decision is taken to progress the case. Wow. So I've just looked at this, the photos you had on there. Yes. Of, uh, Is that what the noise was? Of, no, the yeah. a, of the A330 <laughs> yeah. with that with the huge radar with the, dome. With the radar top. dome, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, look, it looks really, it's really mm. good. I think it'll be a good platform. It's, like we just said a minute ago, Matt, before we started yeah. uh, this segment, the A330 is becoming a, also a hugely popular yeah. aircraft, not yeah. only just for the RAF, but yeah, also but mili- yeah. military as yeah. well around the world. And this yeah. is just another... 
uh, a branch to the A330s, uh, you know, of what it's it can capabilities, do. Of yeah. Capabilities, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Next story. Indeed. Is Flight Global. Yeah. And uh, the last T6C trainers are uh, to are heading well, for new, uh, to New Zealand. Uh, the New Zealand's final pair of uh, Beechcraft T6C trainers are on their way to the nation where they'll be compl- well, they complete an 11-strong f- uh, fleet of the type. Registered as NZ-1410 and NZ-1411, the aircraft departed the U.S. manufacturer's Wichita assembly site in Kansas on the 27th of March at the start of their long-distance delivery. The first two examples made the journey last August. And the aircraft, the final examples uh, pictured in this story, uh, were ordered um, for the Royal New Zealand Air Force in January last year under a deal worth 154 New Ze- million New Zealand dollars, mm-hmm. or 114 million dollars, which also included ground-based training equipment as well. Deliveries have been completed ahead of schedule outlined at the time of the award, which called for a uh, all 11 T6Cs to be delivered by mid-2015. Operations with the new type are performed by the Air Force's Ohakia-based 14th Squadron. I must say, it's very rare these days for something to be delivered ahead of schedule. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think mili- military aircraft seem to... Uh, they, they, I think to be seem to be produced a lot quicker yeah and these are an awesome trainer the t6 mm. trainer um used in the uk and that they are a very agile uh, training aircraft fantastic okay our penultimate story then before we lead on to a very exciting top 10 oh. uh, this is flight global again and the headline is peruvian air force uh, receives first C-27J Spartans. Uh, Peru has received its first of four C-27J Spartans from Alina... Uh, is now, help me pronounce this one. Alina Emanshi. Emanshi. Oh, right. Apologies again if that's incorrect. With the type to undertake tasks including passenger and cargo uh, transport, humanitarian relief flights, search and rescue missions, and firefighting, the European man- manufacturer says. Formally accepted in Lima on the 27th of March, lead aircraft FAP 328 is the first of two examples ordered in December 2013. The Peruvian Air Force doubled its order uh, one year later with deliveries under uh, under the now four-unit commitment scheduled to conclude during 2017. The type will be operated from Calo Air Base, um, it was reported. Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database records Peru as also holding options to increase its Spartan fleet by a further eight aircraft to be built through to 2018. And these Spartans, it's a heck of a beast, is, isn't it? These uh, Spartans are kind of a, another a military transport. Yeah. yeah, a bit yeah. like the, um, uh, sort of a, a similar sort of thing to a Hercules, mm. but a lot shorter. Mm. Um, it looks like it'll carry an awful lot of weight. Yes, yes, I think that's that's yeah. just just like by very... the undercarriage alone, it looks like it's capable of carrying some serious, serious <laughs> freight. <laughs> this first flew in 1999, right? The oh, so C27J aviation yeah. standards. Uh, primary users being the Italian Air Force, yeah. United States Air Force, and the Hellenic Air Force yeah. as well. But as the story says, it's been ordered, obviously Peru, yeah. uh, and Slovakia, yeah. Mexico, Morocco, Lithuania, Bulgaria. Wow. Yeah, it's oh. got uh, quite a, a, you know a lot of orders in the books. Indeed. This yeah. one, good news. So moving on then to our last story for the military segment. This is a, a military top ten. Ah, uh, here we go. Uh, it's the U.S. Army's top ten helicopter types. Yeah. 
Um, so this is going through sort of a, a wide range of different helicopters. Mm. So starting off at number 10. So at number 10, the MIL or MI-24. This is a Russian attack helicopter. <laughs> Uh, which has been recorded as being used for experimental and training purposes. Uh, was originally operated by the East German Air Force, but a very menacing looking, for those of you who've uh, seen the MI-24, mm. uh, quite a menacing looking gunship, yeah, this one. Indeed. At number? Number nine. So number nine then, another Russian built uh, MIL or MI-8. Uh, the MI-8... Tra- 17 transports are on the US Army's books for utility and training use. These are believed to include aircraft originally owned by Iraq and others acquired from Soviet era operators. Very strange looking uh, helicopter, it this is. one, the yeah, MI 8. It is. It's got a sort of weird sort of shape at the bottom yeah. it, where it's uh, didn't quite. <laughs> Looks like happened. someone squashed it. Yeah, yeah. it's been yeah. squished from the top. And uh, number eight. So at number eight, MD helicopters, the MD 500 or AH 6. Looks a bit cozy, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, the small fleet of AH 6 and MH 6, or called Little Bird rotorcraft, are used uh, primarily for use in support of special operations. Although the airframe design is more than 50 years old, rival derivatives are currently being offered by Boeing and MD helicopters, most recently during the Lima exhibition in Malaysia last month. I've seen these. These are the ones you normally see on the films. Mm, you know, yeah, where they have yeah. the, the uh, aircraft, the helicopters flying low and yeah. uh, and people jumping from them and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But no. As I say, it looks a bit cosy. Yeah, clearly overloaded. Packed, packed yes, that one up there. <laughs> Number seven. Number seven. It's a massively popular uh, helicopter, this one, the Bell UH-1 Huey. Mm. Uh, a small number of UH-1HVs remain in active service, performing roles including utility transport and medical evacuation. Mm. These aircraft were ma- all manufactured in the early 1970s. Remember these being on the program MASH. Oh, yes. They yes, of course. They were. Yes, yeah. 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 At number six. Number six, another popular uh, helicopter. This one, the Bell 206. Uh, now deemed surplus to requirements, the TH-67A, or Bell 206, Creek, is starting to leave the Army's training fleet. Based on the Bell 206, the single-engine air aircraft in current use were built between 1993 and 2007. I remember seeing this aircraft. Do you remember a program called Tre- Treasure Hunt? Treasure Hunt, yes. That is yes, the little. It. I'm almost yep. certain that's the little helicopter they used to use for that. And I think as well, this is the helicopter they used. Do you remember the ser- uh, series in the estates called Magnum? Yes, I do. And yes. they had the guy yeah. flying. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a bell to Different colours, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, number five. Number five is an Airbus product. It's the EC-145, mm-hmm. uh, or designated as also the UH-72A Lakota. Based on the civilian EC-145, the twin-engined UH-72A Lakota is in widespread use as a light-utility helicopter. As part of transforming the army of aviation, additional examples are used... Uh, going to be used to be delivered as pilot training helicopters, replacing the Bell 206. Airbus helicopters delivered the first aircraft for new training fleet on the 25th of March this year. To date, the US Army has ordered over 400 of these European-designed type. Pop- popular craft, then. Yes, it definitely mm-hmm. is, yeah. And number four. Number six, another ah, one. Uh, oh, sorry, number beast. four. Yes, sorry. number four. Number four, another uh, very popular helicopter is, yeah. I have seen when, when I've been flying mm. uh, myself. And this is the Boeing CH-47 Chinook. 
The tandem rotor CH47 Chinook design looks set to achieve almost a century of flight with the US Army, planning to uh, continue operation versions of the type, operating versions of the type until 2060. Wow. The service's current multi-year procurement deal for the CH-47F will expire during fiscal year 2019, but it's already uh, eyeing a Block 2 evolution with enhanced lift potential and perhaps also a Block 3 development, which would introduce an extended fuselage. These are such an easily identified aircraft, isn't it? Because of the two rotors on either end. I mean, it's... You should hear one. Oh, I have. I, I, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, they had one at Waddington. I mean, mm. they, 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 it's it's a bizarre thing. I mean, you, you haven't got the little rotor, have you? So as you say, you've got two massive engines, mm. that, like a noise like you've never heard. Did you see the, you see the display of these, uh, the guys do with the Chinooks? They do it. There's a display team that uh, they, they kind of do a, a display mm. with a Chinook. And it's I what they, I mean, they throw this around like a toy yeah, I bet. in the air. I it's bet. amazing. Yeah. And number three. At number three, it's uh, another Bell, the OH-58 Kiowa Warrior. Mm. Uh, A number of the OH-58 Kiowa Warriors in use have recently dropped below their quoted fleet figure as the units begin to step down from armed scout operations. All of the Army's OH-58s will be removed from service as part of a wider aviation restructuring initiative, which is intended to deliver savings worth $12 billion. Cool. So these ones, uh, these ones, Matt, are, they've got the radar dome. I can say, uh, above I was thinking of what is that on the top there? And uh, we have a similar thing here in the in the UK. We use with the Sydney Apache, the Apache gunships, yes. yeah, and yeah, they yeah. have uh, kind of one of these ones with the dome on top. Hmm. It's kind of a forward observation radar. They can fly low, right? And the radar they can use to scan wow. the area in front and to uh, you'd, see. You'd what's think ahead of the them. rotors would cause interference, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, No, it's, it, they work very, very well. They I work bet. Very well. Yeah. Number two. So at number two, it's a helicopter I just mentioned. Ah, the Apache. And it's the Bell yes. AH-64 Apache gunship. Uh, now being produced in the AH-64E version for the US Army and international customers, the Apache is starting to assume a new role for its lead operator. As part of the transfer of duties linked to the phasing out of the OH-58 Kiowa warrior fleet, The Apache is also uh, to assume the armed aerial scout role, including manned and unmanned teaming with unmanned air systems. Now, I've seen one of these. There's somebody who who lands at Beckles, isn't there, who has one of these Apaches, and it's a jet black... Um, thing it looks like something that ought to be in a you know in an American movie of some description. They, they fly all... quite a lot around this area. Yeah, the, uh, the military yeah. uses uh, quite a bit. You could normally they're normally hovering around. Uh, what, <laughs> they're, what they're doing, I don't know. But <laughs> well, the school around. the school run that I was doing it terminates out in Mutford, or, or do it actually terminates in Frosdon. But we were then going through the village of Mutford, which is just behind um, Beckles Airfield, and it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Is it literally popped up over the tree line as we were driving along, like level with the road. And I literally had a coachload of children all screaming because this helicopter looked like it was going to take us out. It was absolutely <laughs> trust terrifying. me, it, it, it could do. <laughs> oh, I, the, I don't doubt that for a moment. On, yeah, yeah, with the weapons on board, these aircraft, these helicopters carry. Um, yeah, it, uh, it would make light work of a coach. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, finally at number one. At number one, then made uh, massively famous by a film. Um, not so many years ago, the mm. Sikorsky S-70 Blackhawk ah, yes, 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 yes. or the UH-60 Blackhawk. 
multiple versions of the Black Hawk provide the backbone for the US Army Aviation Forces utility transport fleet, with new examples still being delivered. Many of the service's UH-60As, the oldest recorded example in the database, was built in 1978. Uh, these are heading for retirement, but its newer aircraft looks set to benefit from a future re-engineering activity now being pursued for uh, by the Black Hawk and Apache attack helicopter. Wow. So I remember the film Black Hawk Down many years Baby, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is a, a, a pretty awesome air, a helicopter to see. I've seen one of these at one of the air shows last year we went to. At, uh, that was at uh, Farnborough. Farnborough, yeah. Um, just, it's a stunning aircraft to see close up. It really yeah. is, Matt. Um, if you get to see yeah. one of these, this there year. is something about a helicopter, isn't there? That is, I think it's because they are so incredibly agile, mm. aren't they? I mean, yeah. I mean, you love your little planes and and, and, and all that, but uh, there is something about the helicopter, isn't it? Because you can. I mean, that's, that's the thing that surprised me. Obviously, when we when, when we when we had our guest on, and uh, that was the thing that surprised me. Uh, uh, how how short a, a flight you you can't go very far in them. You know, I always sort of imagined that you could go sort of hundreds and hundreds of miles in them. Um, but uh, you're very limited on range, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So that's the end of the military segment. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Uh, we have got Pilot Pip's uh, segment yep. to bring you now. Yeah, okay. So uh, uh, Pip has put together a few segments um, on a subject that I asked him to... You've been giving uh, him a headache. I've given him him a headache, (laughs) bless him. Uh, Pip's done his segment, and this is all about uh, exactly a day in the life of Pilot Pip. And now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, Pilot Pip here with another Safety from the Flight Deck segment. And this week's segment was actually Carlos's idea. He suggested I do a a day in the life of Pilot Pip. And I thought, oh yeah, it's quite a nice idea. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And as a little bonus, I'm actually sitting here on an empty aircraft at Zagreb Airport. My next flight's not for a couple of hours. Uh, all the passengers have gone, all the services, all the cleaners have gone. So I've got the whole aircraft to myself. So I thought I'd come out here. Uh, record this segment and then maybe take a little nap. So in the background you may hear some noises, some aircraft taxiing by. If anything interesting comes along, I'll be sure to let you know. So a day in the life, a typical day in the life of of me as a pilot. And this varies quite a lot, but I'm going to give you a sort of an ideal day from my point of view. So we'll start mid-tour. My tours or my trips, if you like, are typically five or six days long. So we'll pretend I'm halfway through and I'm waking up in the hotel. Now, hopefully, I'm waking up in the hotel around about 9am, something like that, not too early. Now, I'm very happy to work long hours, fly through the night, do four or five trips. I don't mind that, but what I hate is having to get up really early. So anything before 6am is a bit of a struggle for me sometimes. But hey, that's just one of the uh, drawbacks of the job. So hopefully getting up not too late, not too early, enough time to go and have a nice leisurely breakfast. So job one, get out of bed, put on the uniform, get ready. And one of the the tasks I have to do, one of my least favourite things as a pilot, and I mean this genuinely, each day is to shave. I hate shaving. When I'm at home on my off days, I don't bother. So by the time I'm ready to go back to work after six days, I look like the Yeti monster. But uh, whilst I'm here at work, I need to look presentable. So shaving every day is a must, but I I do loathe that. So go downstairs, check out and go and have breakfast. Probably meet up with my colleague or colleagues 
and we'll chew the cud and maybe have a bit of a chat about what's going to happen for the day. So we might look at the general weather situation, um, who's going to fly what leg. And probably by now I've, we have received the flight plan, our operational flight plan in electronic form. Uh, so we get this on our company email and I will forward it to my iPad. We have a company issued iPad now that we're using that has all the charts on it. So for the, uh, for the flight plan we can take a look at that. And then once we're ready, once we've had a nice healthy breakfast of bacon and eggs, we'll get in the, the shuttle bus or the uh, taxi and go down to the airport. Hopefully only not more than 20 minutes away. We, uh, at most of our destinations, at most of the cities we regularly visit, we have contracted hotels where we stay, but occasionally we're in the odd, strange hotel, which is a bit further away. So, down to the airport and arrive at the uh, handling agent's office, or the FBO, Fixed Based Operator's Office. And hopefully, if they're doing their job right, they will have ready for us, printed out in paper form, all the bits and bobs we need for the day. So, the operational flight plan, all the weather information, all the weather charts and all the NOTAMs, the notices to airmen. So this is all the relevant information that uh, might be necessary. So it gives any details of perhaps runway closures or lights that aren't working or any obstacles in the area. You know, if someone's put up a great big crane nearby, this kind of thing. So as a crew, as a captain and co-pilot, we'll go through and we'll just brief through, have a look through at the weather, see anything, anything that sticks out, any bad weather here or particularly strong headwinds. And we'll have a look at the flight plan and, and see if, if uh, the levels they've allocated to us are, are the optimum. Maybe there's a better way of doing things. We'll also take a look at the fuel plan for the day. The automatic systems that the company uses to generate these flight plans is clever enough to look at the fuel prices at various airports and give us uh, a fuel loading for each flight, taking making best advantage of the differing fuel prices. And you'll be surprised that fuel prices can vary wildly from airport to airport as much as double for instance at one airport to the next so you can um, save quite a bit of, bit of money by intelligently tankering fuel where it's cheap so you don't have to fuel up where it's expensive so we'll take a look at that and maybe we'll come up with a slightly different plan again sometimes the system doesn't come up with um, the best plans and then once we're ready once we've got all our paperwork we'll get driven out to the aircraft and then we'll split up as a crew. We would have already decided who's going to be flying that leg, who's going to be pilot flying, and who's going to be pilot not flying, or pilot monitoring is what we're meant to call it this, uh, these days. So the pilot flying, he'll get in, he'll fire up the aircraft, put the APU on, the auxiliary power unit, or get the ground power plugged in, and he'll go through and start setting up the cockpit. So this entails going through and checking all the individual systems. Most systems have a, a checking function to check the circuit, if you like, to make sure it's all in tip-top working order. So we'll go through, we'll check everything, try out all the systems, press lots of buttons, listen to all the bells and whistles as they go off, and work our way around the cockpit. Me, personally, I've developed a flow that goes from left to right across the, the bottom, across the main console, and then again from left to right across the top console, checking all the systems methodically. And then once I've done all that, I'll then go to the FMS, the flight management system, and enter the flight plan and all the data. So all the temperatures and all the runway lengths and the winds and all this kind of thing. In the meantime, the other guy, the pilot not flying, will be um, doing his walk around. He'll get outside and he'll walk around checking all the, the outside of the aircraft, basically checking that it's in good shape to fly, that the wings are still attached, 
that it's got the right number of engines. Uh, there's no families of birds nesting in the undercarriage. Just generally having a good old look, making sure everything's where it should be. And he'll probably also be supervising the fueling, making sure that the right number of uh, pounds or litres of fuel are put on board, and possibly a few other tasks as well. Then we'll both be in the cockpit, and at that point we will start getting ourselves ready to go. We'll call up clearance delivery and get our startup clearance and our departure clearance, our departure routing. Now we'll have a pretty good idea of what this is, so we've probably already entered it into the flight management computer. Uh, but we'll confirm it at this point, and then we'll brief, do our official brief for the departure. And we'll go through with the charts, and we'll double, we'll cross-reference it to make sure everything that's in the flight management computer is correct. And let me interrupt here, because there's something very interesting happening outside. There's, I think it's an old MiG, MiG jet fighter has just done a low fly past. I wonder if you can hear it in the background. Cool, I haven't seen one of those in years. Must be a Croatian military MiG. Wow. Okay, where was I? So we brief the departure. So we're both happy exactly what's going to what's going to take place, and we'll also brief any emergencies uh, if we have engine failures, which I've spoken about before. So we're both exactly clear what each other is going to be doing and what the plan of action is in all situations. So we'll start up and we'll taxi out and we'll take off and we'll do the flight. I don't think I need to tell you what that entails. And we'll get to our destination. The passengers will get off. We'll do start setting up for the next flight, depending on how much time we've got. Sometimes they're very tight turnarounds, but usually not. Usually we've got more than enough time. And we'll swap roles, the pilot flying that last flight then becomes the pilot not flying. So we'll swap over. We'll go outside, do another walk around, a post-flight walk around. We always do a post-flight, an after-flight walk around just to check everything's in order. And, you know, if there's a couple of hours between flights, we'll probably then do another pre-flight check as well. So typically we'll be doing two, three, and occasionally four flights per day. Um, as we do more flights, that reduces our duty time limitation. So the more flights we do, the less hours we can work in a day and the more rest time we get off. So typically we'll do three legs and we'll end up somewhere in the evening, hopefully not too late again. Uh, put the aircraft to bed. Uh, there's certain pins and covers we put on overnight. Make sure everything's shut down. Make sure we've not done anything silly like leave the battery on or there's a few lights that are hot wired to the battery. Uh, if those get left on, we'll, we'll arrive the next day and find flat batteries, uh, which would make us look particularly silly. So we try our best not to do that. So put this to bed, get in the taxi, go to the hotel, uh, enjoy a nice healthy meal of steak and chips. Maybe have uh, the odd lemonade and then call it a night and go to bed and then do the whole thing again the next day. So all in all, a pretty satisfying day's work. Now, of course, this is an ideal day. It can vary wildly. Things can go wrong. Plans can change. Unexpected things happen. Poor weather, diversions, mechanical failures, cancelled flights. All this good stuff keeps life interesting. But that's a, a typical day in the life of Pilot Pip. So I'll be back next episode with another special segment recorded live from the aircraft. I'm going to hopefully you'll join me live on a pre-flight inspection as I walk around the aircraft and I can describe to you what it is I'm doing and what I'm looking at. 
But for now, stay safe, take care. Pilot Pip signing off. So once again, thank you, Pip, very much, very much for yes. bringing us that segment. And uh, Pip's got another one lined up for next week as well, Fantastic. hasn't he? Yeah. Um, but no, it's uh, it's good. I set, I, set him I, homework I, and he done his homework. I, isn't he a good boy? <laughs> I love how he just drops in. I'm casually sitting in an empty aircraft. Just, I know, you know, I know. Just, as you do. As you do. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> sitting in my private jet. Yes. yes. Not, not a lot to do. No. Yes. What but, a shame. But don't forget, you can uh, you can catch Pip uh, on his own show mm. on the Plane Safety Podcast. So don't forget, you can catch him there on iTunes. Search Plane Safety Podcast. You can download Pip's show where he goes on about everything to do with uh, flying and safety as well. Good man, good man. So, as we said at the beginning of the show, yes. we did do an interview with Lauren Richardson today. Yep. And um, we had a great time, didn't we? We did, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah we chatted about... Uh, Half an hour whizzed by. Yes, it whizzed mm-hmm. by. We chatted about the uh, the show she's done, the yep. first display show at Santa Pod. Yeah. And uh, the ins and outs of uh, being a display pilot. Excellent. So, you're going to introduce yourself then, Carl? Introduce myself. Because yeah. <laughs> he starts it. That's right. I know, I know. So, uh, yes, we're going to bring you that segment right now. Okay, so we're very, very privileged indeed to uh, welcome onto the show mm-hmm. a, a massively uh, popular display pilot oh. who's just had her first show at Santa Pod. Ah. So we'd like to welcome onto the show Lauren Richardson. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Carlos. And <laughs> and uh, how are you? Does on anybody this, uh, actually call you Carlos? Am I the no, only person that calls you Carlos? Everyone calls me Carlos. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, everyone but my mother. Oh, anyway. It's so funny, actually, at your wedding, it was the weirdest thing that's ever happened is because I was having to, at, at Carl's, when Carl got, we- got married. married, I had to actually refer to him as Carl. And it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do as the master of ceremonies is actually say <laughs> Carl. <laughs> anyway, sorry, anyway, I digress. Nice, nice to hear from you both. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, we've uh, we've tr- we've been sort of trying to get you on the show mm. for a while because you've yeah. been ever so busy. Mm. Um, but no, it's great to finally uh, to grab you for a for a quick Q and A. So that's, uh, thanks very much for coming on. Mm. No problem. Okay, so yesterday you were at uh, Northampton uh, at, at Santa Pod. So um, you, we, we were sort of saying just beforehand that the weather was perhaps not ideal for um, uh, condi- for um, flying. Shall we say? Um, yeah, if I if I'd. Um... If, I, if I'd had much of a choice, I, I think I'd have stayed on the ground. To be honest, it was mm. quite it was quite manky up there. <laughs> uh, it was one of those days where you just didn't really want to be there. Were quite, there were quite a few other people flying actually, but mm. it was it was not it was not what I would consider you know perfect blue sky conditions for sure. No, no. that's a shame. Do you, do you get a bit disheartened when you when you sort of turn up for a display and the weather is not is not great? Sort of, sort of. Um, yes and no. I mean, there were definitely not as many people there as there would have been mm-hmm. had had it been kind of a nice, clear, sunny day. But uh, at the end of the day, I uh, yeah, I just enjoy doing what I do. And if I get there and manage to display, some people will have enjoyed it, and that's that's what it's all about. So yeah, yeah. no, it's I find the transit flying can be a bit hard work, and it's certainly um, flying in bad weather like yesterday is very very um, psychologically tough. Mm. You end up feeling absolutely exhausted at the end of it. It's just it's a constant decision making making a sort of like minor panic process really of <laughs> just, just the whole sort of hour and a half of, of, of sitting there hoping it's not going to all clag in and you have to put it down somewhere but not too bad so when the weather when when the weather's like that i mean what what effect does that have on, on the display that you you do on the day so presumably you arrive with it with a flight plan in mind and, and the routine that you're going to do and and if you get there and the weather is bad i mean what effect does that have 
Well, I mean, basically, um, we all tend to have um, two or three different displays designed for 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 the season. Um, I mean, you, you do as part of as part of the kind of certification process, getting your authorization and things. You have to think about bad weather displays and flat displays and things, and what to do if the cloud base is low and the visibility is bad. So, so we all have these kind of plans in mind. Uh, and yesterday, I got the, it was a six hundred foot cloud base in the display area for most of the time, which is um, is particularly low. Uh, mm-hmm the lowest i've ever flown in that's for that's for sure wow um but i'm allowed to fly aerobatics down to 200 feet so i've got sort of 400 oh, feet worth, 400 feet worth of worth of leeway there but it wasn't even enough really to loop the airplane so oh. it was it was very much a well it was a truly flat display yesterday i think i managed a couple of half cubans in in when it just broke broke for a couple you know a couple hundred feet for a few seconds it was quite it was quite patchy but but basically i got there and it was it was very obvious i wouldn't be able to do much then revert to um what what i what i term the flat display which is basically many different sort of like combinations of rolls and knife edge passes and inverted passes and things like that and just trying to draw pretty patterns with the smoke for people to take photos <laughs> of and that's, that's all you can really do yeah absolutely so the uh, aircraft you fly um lauren the pit special s1 um we're going to sort of go into sort of bit of detail because i spoke to you last year at seething uh, hmm. the air show our local air show here and we got a bit about your background then, but uh, I'm just going to ask you. I was going to ask you one of the main sort of questions we're going to discuss today, if we could, is just how much goes into the preparation and starting you off. You know, everything for the whole, you know, the start of the display season for 2015. What what does it take to uh, to kick everything off? Oh, an awful lot of motivation, actually, is the, is the starting point. I mean, for me this year, we, we did quite a large um, winter overhaul of the aeroplane. It had been getting a bit kind of abused over the previous two seasons and, and hadn't had as much attention as it perhaps should have done. So my partner and I actually did um, did quite an extensive overhaul over the winter. Uh, took about three months uh, doing the work that we did to it. So we ch- changing things like the engine mounts had gotten quite sort of worn out. So changing things like that and worn out control cables and things. So just trying to get everything kind of up to scratch. Um, I've also taken on board another new sponsor in the form of Con- Concorde Batteries. Oh, wow. And as part hmm. of that, I have actually redone the entire electrical system on the aeroplane as well. Cool. Um, which is really nice. So hopefully it should mean I don't have to jump, jump, jump start the thing at any point this year, which <laughs> has happened in Gosh. previous years and yeah, various issues. Um, basically, the aeroplane didn't have an alternator. Um, so a part of my very extensive upgrade process, we've added all that as well as the brand new battery and things. So my fingers are very firmly crossed. It will be quite an easier season this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of work that goes into getting the aircraft ready. And then there's also the kind of the physical side of me being ready I've done quite a lot of I do quite a lot of physical training sort of trying to be as fit as possible for the Mm. start of the season Mm. because it does make a big difference Mm. Um, if you're fit you can do multiple days of multiple hours flying and multiple displays and it's not it's not too hard but if Mm. you're if you're really tired and unfit and just struggling everything becomes a lot more difficult and the margins become a lot smaller and you sort of like you you want to make the margins as big as possible sort of so if you you do make any mistakes you've got plenty of mental capacity to deal with it Mm. and i find that physical fitness has a massive impact on on my kind of psychological ability in the airplane as well so i've been i've been at the gym an awful lot and (laughs) mountain biking and everything else and just trying to be vaguely ready for the season start i suppose and then of course there's also the the um designing the sequences aspect i've actually upgraded my da for this year so 
What, what's I the DA? Be, sorry, just sorry. My display authorization. Right. That's the piece of paper that the CAA give you mm-hmm. to say that you can do mad things at X feet. You know? <laughs> um, which uh, and mine's mine's just recently been upgraded to allow a whole lot of different sort of more complex, more interesting maneuvers shall we say i'm not going to mm. you know let on too many no, too many no, of my no, secrets don't give secrets for, away for well, well, well i don't know we see we're always keen for a bit of an exclusive here yeah. on the plane no, no, no. are we staring at me oh dear well I'll, I'll i've already up. told you what my height's been dropped to so all right okay i'll keep that all right for aerobatics this year which is which is pretty low actually yeah. um does mean that we can yeah so things are going to be a bit more dynamic and a bit more interesting i think in my in my flights this year which i try i like to try and mix it up and keep it all, all a bit interesting so We'll see how it goes. So from the from the moment, obviously, a, a big company or a, a big uh, air show approaches you, then and, and kind of says, "Look, we we want you at our show this year." Um, is obviously you have to do you do a completely different display for each air show, or do you do you sort of change and and, and alter the displays as for the size of the field itself you're you're flying in? Yes and no. I mean, generally speaking, the 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 display is is overall pretty similar for most venues some venues are do suit a, a different type of display though for instance uh, places like little Granston and old warden have a what i'd term a curving display line where it's not just a straight line it's actually got a corner um so that does lend itself to to having a sort of different layout of a sequence and just you, you want to make make the most out of um the, the opportunities you've got for giving people different views of the aircraft so so some venues do warrant a different display and, and some of the the larger sort of the seaside um shows for instance have got a massive massively long crowd line i mean i've certainly done i think cleethorpes last year had about it was almost a two mile crowd line it was ridiculous wow. absolutely huge which um with a small kind of relatively slow aircraft like mine means you've got to think a little bit about spreading it out you've either got to spread it out or just stick to keeping it all right right in the middle um, and I like to try and sort of mix it up a little bit. So some venues do get do get sort of tailored a little bit, but generally I I, I keep a kind of skeleton sequence that that, re, that remains the same for pretty much all of them. Cool. Wow. So you say you say before obviously the season starts, you've uh, you've stripped down the, the aircraft itself in preparation. I mean, how do you know where all the bits and pieces go along? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that just comes through knowing the aeroplane. Really. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I've spent time doing sort of mechanics on aeroplanes um, in, in sort of previous lives. Anyway, my my partner Rupert, he's an ex um, aircraft mechanic too, so oh, it does uh, it does help that we mm. we both kind of have a vague idea of what we're doing. But um, <laughs> yeah, if we didn't, it would be a lot harder. I must say. Yeah, I bet. On the uh, on the aircraft, when you're doing the displays at the, at the various shows and stuff you've got planned for this year, um, do you have a, one of those GoPro cameras on the aircraft while you're displaying? Or is no, that just... I have about four. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, three to four. I, well, I say that it, it depends on like what, yeah, how good the weather is and whether mm. it's worth putting putting all of them on. But I'm constantly experimenting with camera angles. We've got a couple of couple of new angles we want to try this year, actually. So um, I might end up running four this year, which would be quite cool. Uh, I remember seeing the picture you put on, I think it was um, uh, Twitter or, or was it Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, one of the ones. Probably uh, all of, of them. The, uh, <laughs> of the, the, like the ticker tape coming from... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. From, the wing, from the wing site, yeah, doing some tail sliders. That was hilarious. That was quite... <laughs> That was an amazing picture. I loved that. That was absolutely awesome. Have you uh, seen the video of it? Because there's a video on YouTube from that as well, which is, is quite... Yeah, no, I, I haven't. Question. It's the one where I scream. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they have to look at right. look yeah, that yes, one. Yes, it, it is here, but one. I don't hit the play button now. So. No, no, don't bet not. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's quite good. No, that was that was a kind of we, we were just thinking. Well, you know, you, you see videos of, of doing different maneuvers, and you don't you don't really get a feel for what's actually happening sometimes because mm. it's quite hard to, you know, certainly with a with something like a tail slide where you're going straight up and the airplane is then falling vertically back down from it's in-flight crazy. video. It's very difficult to tell what's really going on. You can't really see it. Um, so I thought, well, let's tie some bits of ribbon to the aeroplane and see what's actually going on. And it was fantastic. Yeah. You watch the ribbon just sort of going completely the wrong yeah. way. And yeah. you think, Whoa, <laughs> that was quite cool. I liked that. It was good fun. <laughs> so when you're doing your displays, uh, obviously the seaside displays, um, which you've probably got some this year, uh, obviously you have to, do you have to carry more fuel because you, you obviously got not, you've got nowhere to land as such close by. So do you, do you actually prepare by having more fuel on the aircraft to do the display and then fly back to, to your field? Um, it depends. They all vary, to be honest. Um, some, mo- most of them, you've got uh, the, as part of the show. You know, they organise a local airfield that you tend to operate from. Um, but others, yeah, not so much. Like uh, the real air show, which is a seaside air show in North Wales. There, the cl- I think the closest airfield is about half an hour, forty minutes away. It's so it's yeah. It tends. I tend to sort of you know do the whole thing sort of with full fuel on. Um, but it but it varies. I mean, the the lighter the aeroplane is, the better it handles. But yeah. sometimes you, you you can't do that. I mean, as I, I do quite a lot of touring, what we call touring displays, where you're not landing on. That's quite a common thing, and it's mm. it's just a matter of um, making sure your bum doesn't go numb on the transits. Really, that's the main that's the main concern. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet. So the aircraft you fly the uh, the pits special in. Um, how how how. Mass or how massively modified is the aircraft to, to how it was standard when you when you first got it? I haven't done that many modifications to her. She was quite heavily modified from the standard design when she was built originally, actually, um, because my my particular aeroplane's got oversized controls all across the board. So the rudder's bigger, the elevator's bigger, and the ailerons are bigger than standard, and it's got extra bracing wires to beef it up and things like that, and make it a bit and, stronger. And is that for agility purposes, so that it's, it's yeah. more manoeuvrable? It was originally built to be a, a an aeroplane that would be competitive on the world aerobatics scene, actually, back in the eighties. Right. Um, which you know, they, they had to go some to make it competitive with the monoplanes that were coming in then. Um, mm-hmm. and it didn't, you know, because these days, you know, a pits, a pits just can't compete at that level. It's just not got the performance. Mm-hmm. But back then, they, they still did. So that was, that, was the, that was the intention of the guys that built her. Wow. Wow. So when you're doing the displays at the, uh, the various shows and stuff, Lauren, obviously it's, uh, it's obviously a, a lot to think about in your head, the sort of mental thing of, of going through everything when you're flying. But is it, is it fairly physical as well? Do you, is there a lot of strain on, on your body as well? You know, do you get out of the aircraft at the end of a display and sort of, whew, you know? Yes, yeah. Um, I certainly, I mean, yesterday, for instance, even though it was only a, only a flat display, I think I, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd layered up quite well because I thought it was cold. It wasn't yeah. quite as cold as I thought it was. But ever, ever, sometimes you, you sort of like you, you transit somewhere and you end up really, really, really cold because there's no heater in the aeroplane. No. Um, so I'd sort of layered up really well. And then I flew the display and I was boiling. I was absolutely <laughs> boiling. I was like, how many, how many layers can I kind of half remove in the aeroplane on the way back? But, <laughs> so yeah. lose but, a couple yeah, of pounds during the routine. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is quite, quite physically demanding. Um, yeah. I tend to find my rehearsal flights are, are more strenuous than the display flights because I try to design the actual 
display flights to be short, sharp and intense, but not so knackering that you're going to have trouble getting back afterwards. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of part of the design process, really. But when rehearsing, you you can overdo it quite quite severely sometimes. And I've mm. certainly gotten out of the airplane going, oh my god, I need to have a sit down for a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> so in between uh, displays, then, Lauren, uh, uh, between each show, is there a lot of maintenance that goes on with the aircraft in between shows, or or is it just sort of general sort of touch ups and hearing bits and pieces and stuff, or? Well, touch wood, not much really. But um, yeah, it's, it's just it, it's it's a pretty good aeroplane. It's very reliable, sort of old 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 design engine that's well proven, and mm. you know it's a, it's a well designed airframe. It's it's a well maintained aeroplane. So you know, generally speaking, we don't have to do too much to it between shows. It's just kind of mostly cleaning, if mm. in, in all honesty, cleaning and sort of like changing the oil and checking the spark plugs and all the all the, <laughs> all the general things that you you do with a with a machine that, that runs with petrol, really. Mm. Um, we only need to do work on it when things sort of get damaged or broken or worn out. So it's, it's fingers crossed won't be too bad this year. So what? How the obviously I'm I'm, I'm learning to fly as you know mm. at the moment the little Cessna 150, um, right? Which is yeah, it is. When when the wind is not blowing across the airfield, it's good. <laughs> I've just, just had having a, fun with crosswind. Oh, I know, I know. I had a lesson cancelled Thursday because we had. Um, 22 mile an hour crosswinds literally across the runway oh yeah um, that'll, that'll be fun not good for a Cessna 150 at all um, <laughs> no. but um, um, in the in the aircraft you fly the pit special um, what sort of controls have you got in front of you there as, as to, to look up because obviously you've got different uh, displays as to what I have in the Cessna 150 but how many sort of basic control you know uh, view you know actual um, displays have you got in there sort of instrumentation yeah, well, not yeah. an awful lot really um Pure aerobatic machines tend to be absolutely minimal. Like uh, they're designed to be as light as possible, so mm. you don't have an awful lot in there. So I've got it's it's all the basics really. So it's your airspeed, your altitude, yeah. um, engine temperatures, oil pressures, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, a compass that doesn't really work. Actually, <laughs> in the so my 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 aerobatic sequence card is actually stuck over the compass. It's, okay, it, it tells me where the engine is, which right. is which is really useful to know if I think I've ever lost it. But that's pretty much. I'm not sure what's for. And um, the only thing that I've probably got that you won't like, won't have seen unless you're flying an aerobat is a G meter. Okay, um, yeah. Which uh, yeah, just just keeps an eye on the stresses you're putting on the airframe, really. Um, which is and it's it's quite handy for. I tend to use it to set up the airplane prior to a sequence as well. I like to have it trimmed for for as what we term a zero G condition, so a weightless condition. That's where the airplane gets trimmed mm. with the trim lever because um, it makes it makes some um, sort of vertical maneuvers a bit easier because the controls are all neutral. Um, and beyond that, that's pretty much it. You've got like switches for the smoke system, you know, mm. the radio and everything else, and my MP3 player, which goes into the radio. Which yeah, is yeah, very, nice. very important. <laughs> um, and the GPS, because I can't read a map. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone there, and I'm a coach driver, so. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I can read a map, but it's, it's such a small cockpit, it's very difficult yeah. to fold and unfold yeah, a chart in there, to be honest. And the compass doesn't really work, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah. GPS. Yeah. GPS, GPS all the way. All I, the actually way. Use, I actually use two. I've got a hard mounted Garmin that stays in there all the time that's mm. sort of bolted in so solidly, I think. I think the air, aircraft will fail before that mounted. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I also use an iPad mini strapped to my leg running sort of airbox. Airbox is a fantastic runway HD software, which yeah, is just yeah. the best thing in the world. Just sit there and it's like, oh just takes all the pressure off off navigating it's great mm. i love it to bits wow. can't i can't air about with it so it just get tucked away yeah. when i get to a display site but i just love having it there 
So what's your music of choice then, uh, Lauren, when you're transiting to the uh, shows? Mm, it any, any varies. I have, to, I have to be a little bit clever with what I put on it because it's, it's wired directly into my radio, which means it's actually <laughs> mono. So <laughs> no. choosing music that doesn't sound absolutely atrocious when you mono. have a stereo input <laughs> is, is, is the key thing. Um, I'm experimenting with a little bit of reggae stuff at the moment. Oh, yeah, it's, not my, it's not my thing, but no. it seems to kind of work in the aeroplane. It's, it's my, my other half is into reggae, so I'm sort of playing, uh-huh. playing with a bit of that at the moment. Cool. So for this uh, for this year, then what uh, sort of big shows have you got? Obviously, apart from Seething, because I think you are you are coming to Seething again I this am year. Yeah, six, six, Sunday the sixth. Yes. Yeah. So Sunday the sixth of September. She's coming to. Oh, Seething. brilliant! I'll be there. Yeah, yeah me too. And so all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What other <laughs> what other big shows have you got planned for this year on your calendar? Other oh, than seeding, obviously. Other than seeding. me. I tell you what, like, I'll get this answer right by having the calendar in front of me because uh, right. I've, got, I've got something like 25 well, before. Well, I, I've got it in front of me, so I'll read it out. So obviously you've just done the one at Santa Pod. May the 3rd, you're at the Abingdon Air Show. Yeah, uh, which June. is going to be fantastic. The lineup for that is just looking stunning. I'm looking forward to being there just to watch, to be honest. Really? That one looks great. Cool. You've got three three dates in June, so that's uh, Saturday the 6th is at the Throckmorton Air Show. Yep. Sunday the 14th is at Welshpool. And uh, Saturday uh, the 20th and Sunday the 21st at Western Supermare. So it's, yeah. that's, uh, well, it's a good, good place for an ice cream down there. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice air show as well. It's one of those big seafront um, free ones. So it's, it's a good day out, Western Supermare. Uh, one of the things I miss actually about uh, that the Lowestoft air show, because that always used to be quite a good, yeah, uh, on the coast. Quite a good thing, because that was right on the coast. So you could literally stand on the beach mm. and they'd do the air show over the sea. And it was, oh, it was just brilliant. Mm. Uh, July, you're in Manchester. Uh, that's Ooh, on the fifth. Yep. Saturday, the eleventh of July, you're uh, at the Rescue Day show. What's that? That is in Lincolnshire. It's um, it's a big emergency services oh, cool. um event where they just put on loads of stuff and they they they're having a couple of flying displays as well. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Uh, July the first, that's Gloucestershire Steam and Vintage. Right now, we're talking steam. Yeah. Hooray, that's my that's my passion. Sa- uh, Saturday the first, Sunday the second, a bygone days show. Sunday the ninth. Uh, these are all in August. This is Mar- the, the Marsham Air Show. That uh, won't be far from you guys either. That's another Norfolk one. Oh, is it? Oh, cool. Marsham. Oh, it's, yeah. a local, uh, it's a local kind of carnival rally, steam rally type thing, the Marsham Show. Mm, ah. Splendid. Road trip then, Carlos. Road trip. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so we've got uh, Sunday uh, Sunday the 9th and Monday the 10th. That's Blackpool Air Show. Saturday the 15th, that's Hearn Bay Air Show. Saturday the 22nd, Sunday the 23rd, RAFA Shoreham Air Show. Sunday the 30th, that is Little Grandson Air and Car Show. And the most important one, obviously, in September. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's Sunday the 6th, but seething. So we're looking forward to that. And then, oh, South End, you're going there. Well, yeah, South End. Where's the South End Air Show? Is it anywhere near the airport? Um, well, uh, there's, I, I don't actually know because okay, the South End, the, the South End Air Show has been cancelled because they've um they oh, sort no, of did, oh, no. they've, the venue the venue isn't happening. But there's talk of it being moved to Stowe Maris. Oh, cool. Oh, so oh, cool. I'm, I'm I've left it on the calendar because, as far as I know, it's going ahead. Yes, but, but just I don't quite know I where can't yet. Definitely <laughs> confirm that. Though, so. Oh no, fantastic! Well, we definitely look forward to seeing it at Seething anyway. Absolutely, Lauren, yeah. definitely, yeah, and um, yeah. yeah. So I, I've, well, I've got a couple of questions, if I may. Yes, then. far the, away. The, then. the, the the first one I, I want if if um I always ask this question to all of I guess obviously you do a lot of flying have you ever had um what I'd like to do, what I often describe to you as the flight you'd like to forget have you ever got a have you got a horror story of a, of a flight where you thought oof that was a close one mm, there's not one that springs to mind but there there have yeah. been numerous all right kind fifteen of then I'm not incidents <laughs> um. 
I think I'll go with the transit flight between the Shoreham Air Show and the Real Air Show right. in 2013. I think if, I'm going, if I've got to pick one, yeah. but it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one for me because I had I had a I had a problem with the aircraft that meant I, yeah. I ended up going back to Shoreham and being stuck there for the rest of the air show, which actually turned out to be absolutely fantastic. Oh really? Because I got to relax and watch it, but yeah. the flight itself was not great. I had the fuel tank which sits just above my lap mm. um, actually cracked a weld. <gasps> Um, and started pouring fuel all over my lap, um, which was fun. I say pouring, it was more of a drip. It was quite quite a major drip. It was very very obvious that it was a problem. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. You're thinking, yes, I'm not sure I can go ahead now. Yeah, and I ended up sort of um, diverting back to Shoreham, actually. Mm. The decision-making process was, I was overhead Dunsfold, I think it was at the time, but I couldn't Mm. raise anyone on the radio. There was no one there, and I was thinking, well, (laughs) if I land there... There's no fire crew. There's yeah. no. There's nothing. nothing yeah, there's no one do, there. Yeah. I'm going to be stuck there with no one to help me fix it. Yes. So I'll take. I'll take them. Take my chances. It's not dripping fast enough to run out of fuel. Yeah. So I'll fly back to Shoreham. And they ended up sending. I think it was the Brightling Wing Walkers were displaying at the time, and they were told to to sort of disappear off out to sea for a bit whilst I came well, while she came in and landed. Wow! So I had this fantastic emergency landing in front of the forty thousand <laughs> crowd at Shoreham on the tarmac. It's always hilarious with a pit. And the fire crew coming out and bringing me back in. And everything it's probably else. the most excitement like, they've had for years. Yeah. Oh dear, it was so embarrassing. But yeah. then I got out of the aeroplane and I've, I've heard reports that apparently people thought I was drunk. Oh no! Nice. Because I was staggering quite badly. And <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, was sort of, I was dragged off to an ambulance and sat there on oxygen for 20 minutes because I'd been yeah. breathing in these kind of abgas fumes for a good mm, half yeah. an hour. And I had a stinking headache for about two days after. It was I, I, horrendous. I but yeah. yeah, and then it turned into a bit of a kind of, you know, we've got, got what do we do? How do we fix it? it? Turned out the crack was like right at the back of the fuel tank in <laughs> the most inaccessible place, place, obviously. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, somewhere you couldn't either, you could you could neither see nor really touch very well. It was just sort of like, oh God. And we managed to kind of patch it up and I limped it home in the end and mm. sort of took it took it all, all out and got it rewelded. It wasn't a big deal actually. But, no. but no. yeah, there's there's something quite disconcerting about sort of you know, yeah a cockpit full of fuel oh, yes. well, i'll mop it up it's, it's probably just just probably a overspill from when i fueled it or something yeah and then oh, it carries still, on. Oh, still dripping oh, yeah it's definitely oh it's definitely dripping yeah <laughs> and a few swear words came yeah the, um... <laughs> i could imagine yeah so obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the plane that you fly at the moment is the pit special if you could pick your your choice of any other aircraft, obviously you've got you've got a love for your pit special. But um, if you could pick any other aircraft, what is the one aircraft you would love to to be flying on a regular basis? If I didn't have to pay the fuel bill, ah, right. <laughs> okay, yeah, it okay. would definitely be the Sea Fury. Oh, ah, Hawker Sea Fury, yeah, mm, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What what's so special about that particular? I, I don't craft? know. There's something. There's something. Just I, I love big radial engine aircraft, big radial engine warbirds. I've got. I, you know, I absolutely love them. I just think the, fan, the noise is just so fantastic, and it's just a spectacular aeroplane. I think the Spitfire is too too obvious an answer, really. Yeah. Just, but there's yeah. there's just always for me. I don't know. I don't quite know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But there's just there's just something utterly fantastically special about that aeroplane for me every time i've seen one display it's mm. just been i've just been kind of jaw dropped you know no, no matter how dull the display is i mean it's just yeah. doing a couple of fly passes it's, it's the dope. very fact that it's in the air is oh, i just is think enough. they're fantastic they're it's gorgeous the sea fury matt the, the sea fury's got those got the wings that fold up oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For, yeah. For, uh, but it, uh, it was it first flew in 1944 oh, the wow. sea fury yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Uh, I do, I do like the retro thing. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that's more or less uh, time to to wrap up. Then, Lauren, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, to go to her website, recommended uh, viewing. There's a couple of cracking photos and a video there that you must watch as well. And that's lauren-richardson.com. That's the new website, isn't it? So it's www.lauren-richardson.com. Yes, Lauren, thanks ever so much for coming on the show today. We're going to let uh, let you get back to your busy day because obviously you've got uh, lots of planning and bits and pieces yeah. to do for... Flight uh, plans. Yeah, yeah for, uh, <laughs> for the 2015 display season. But it's been absolutely fantastic to get you on the show. Yeah. No, it's and, been great uh, talking to you both again. Yeah, the it's listeners always... are going to love it. Yeah, absolutely. And we look forward to seeing you in on September the 6th and seeing. Yeah, yeah do <laughs> come and say hi. I will. Oh, I will. Yeah, you, you can meet Matt then. You yeah, can meet him yeah, and, uh, yes. Oh, splendid. Right. splendid. Thanks splendid. very much, Lauren. Take well, care. Thanks very much, Jen. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. 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 Oh, that was fantastic. That was it? fantastic. Yeah. We thoroughly enjoyed that. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I can't wait to listen back to that myself very again. Much. Yeah. So that Roll is on September bring... the 6th. Oh, yeah, September the 6th for <laughs> seething. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So don't forget, you can uh, find us then at uh, www.plaintalkinguk.com. Yeah. And you can also find us. Yes, on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash uk. And it's uh, on Twitter also. It's twitter.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. Nice yeah, and easy to find there. us. Yes, yes. yes uh, Send us an email, get in touch. We want yes. to hear all your feedback, good and bad. It's it's all about making the making sure we cover the stories you want to hear. So, uh, and it would be really good if you could send us some feedback as well uh, yeah. for about Lauren as well. Mm, uh, yeah. us, tell us what you thought uh, about uh, yeah. our if you If you were in Northampton and you watched it, it would be great to see. Yes, if anyone uh, who's listening who was at Santa Pod, send, yeah. us, uh, send us your... Uh, yeah. I'm review. fascinated by the whole sort of, you know, what they call a flat display. Yeah. So just bring... yeah, definitely send. If you were at Santa Pod, mm. send us your feedback on Please. Lauren's yeah. display. So that's where we're going to bring episode 55 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. Yep. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back again next week with some more news. And uh, possibly we might get someone else uh, on, on oh, Sky again. You sound like you're yes. scheming. I'm yes. scheming. I'm scheming. Excellent. <laughs> So that's it then for me. It's a very, it's a sunny actually. A it sunny is, night. It is actually sunny. At it's the a sunny, lovely day for flying. Uh, goodbye from me. Yep. And it's a goodbye from him. Goodbye. <laughs>